because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter, at bballimmersion, or on Instagram, at basketballimmersion, to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Mike Weiner to the Basketball Podcast. Mike is an assistant coach with the Indiana Pacers. He finished his first season with the Pacers after 13 seasons with the Dallas Mavericks. Weiner was a member of the 2011 championship team coaching staff. He has served many roles in the NBA from special assistant to the head coach to offensive coordinator and summer league head coach, where he led Dallas to the 2017 Orlando Summer Pro League Championship. Weiner served as a graduate assistant and student manager under Billy Donovan with the University of Florida, where he is a part of back-to-back national championship teams. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you on. Uh, known you for a while. Uh, just a great basketball mind and incredible career. Uh, we got to start with Mountain Dew, Coach. We got to tell that story. <laughs> how, how is Mountain Dew relevant to your coaching career? Mountain Dew uh, has a special place in, in my heart because of the fondness of it from uh, my uh, my boss, my employer for the last 14 years. Um, I was fortunate and blessed enough to work as a as an undergraduate graduate student uh, under Coach Donovan, Billy Donovan, University of Florida. Um, my last year at the University of Florida, um, 2000, that'd be fall of 2007. Um, Coach uh, Rick Carlisle was friends with coach Donovan and he uh he had an opportunity to come down and visit and check out practice and a lot of times that's what happens when you know uh, guys in this industry you know make moves they come see their friends and kind of try to learn and and better themselves and that's what Rick was doing and I got asked by coach Donovan to go grab uh the keys to his car and go pick him up the airport and go to dinner and just you know kind of be his uh, his right hand guy while he was on campus and I, I kind of heard through the grapevine that um uh, Mountain Dew was kind of his thing he had going at that point in time. And I grabbed a Mountain Dew uh, almost every time I, I got to see him pick up the airport or wherever it was. I, I always had a cold Mountain Dew with me. And and uh, who knows, you know, if that made an impact on, on getting hired or not. But come six, seven months later, Rick was going to get the uh, the Dallas Mavericks job uh, in, in this, what I guess, summer, spring, summer of 08. And uh I, I kind of reached out and said, Coach, I'd be on the first flight to Dallas if you had anything for me. And uh, he had a, a role as a special assistant to the head coach. Uh, that was May of 2008. And here we are 14 years later. I've been working for that man for 14 years, and I'm all the better for it. All because of Mountain Dew. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt for sure, Chris. Right? Oh, I know. There's way guy. more. Yeah, there's way more to it than that. And uh, But uh, just a tremendous uh, story to kind of highlight you know, the details and the details matter. And uh, that's, that's definitely it. And, uh, you know, you referenced spending that much time in Dallas and uh, just as a curious general question, uh, are there that much differences from one organization to the other? You know, cause I think sometimes people have an impression that each NBA organization is very similar and there's not that much difference. So is there that much differences? Sure. Chris, we, we, we operate under the same rules, the same governance, um, it's not like the the open market and you know capitalist society where you you know have really no rules other than the SEC or whoever that governing body is. But um, we, we operate under the same rules, but the way you go about it can be a little different uh, from each organization. And that's not to say better or worse. It's just 
uh, different ways to, to, to cut the cake. My wife's a baker. I, you know, it's a different way to slice the pie, whatever you want to say. Um, but two organizations, obviously very well managed, very well run over the, the course of their uh, career, their franchises in Dallas and here in, in, in Indianapolis and in Indiana. I'm uh, really excited to be a part of this organization and, and the management and the ownership. Um, they, they operate a little differently, which is fine. Um, uh, and, and we've gotten used to it. We're, we're, we're really excited about it. And had a great time so far here in this community. Obviously, we want to put some more wins on the left-hand column, but uh, we've had a great uh, time getting kind of acclimated to the community and get to know folks. And and Chris, I don't know, you know, I don't know if you know about this, but the Indy 500 is coming up here in about ten days. And and if you go around anywhere in Indianapolis, it's it's what you're going to see. You're going to see checkered flags everywhere. So we're we're pretty pumped about that here in the Weiner household. Well, we know all about Indianapolis. We've been there a number of times when I lived in Windsor and uh, the one of the best children's museums anywhere in the world. And a hundred percent. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And that's a shout out to anyone that has kids. That's a great place to visit. And because uh, the Pacers fantastic. and all the sport organizations are very involved in that children's museum. So um, we are members. We are oh. members. <laughs> I understand. No doubt. And uh, coach, we're going to talk a lot of things, uh, offense, especially, I think a little bit and uh, you know, pace, shot profile, spacing, et cetera. I guess it's a question is, is the most efficient offense possible been created already? And all that matters now is how good the players can get in the offense, or is there more to it at this point? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And obviously it's something that all basketball coaches, uh, no matter what level, uh, are looking at and all front offices and, you know, analytics uh, are looking at how can we, you know, get the biggest advantage. In reality, we all know it's, it's a math equation, right? You just It's a simple math equation of how can we get the most efficient offense and the most efficient defense and, and taking away that away. Um, a lot of that's been built around, uh, you know, three is better than two. Um, you know, want to get to the rim and, and get those quality shots at the rim. But if not, you're going to get a quality look at three. And, and, and Chris, one way that I've um, – that we have in Indianapolis here and, and, and that I've kind of developed over the years is, is not to take away those shots. You know, those, those mid range shots, you certainly need those um, in the right position in the right place by the right player against the right defense. But uh, in order to try to kind of communicate to our guys uh, moving forward is that we, we want to have kind of a hierarchy of shot, of shot profile. Um, you're going to shoot the highest percentage, as we all know. Those guys right around the rim or dunking the ball at 75, you know, up to 85, 90 percent of the time. Um, so we want that we want that shot at the rim, that layup at the rim, um, and we consider that our kind of gold medal, at least from my perspective, uh, working primarily on the offensive side of the ball. That's kind of our gold medal, uh, as a reference to everybody's, you know, everybody's familiar with the Olympics and competing. That's our gold medal. Uh, we love that. Secondarily, if you can't get the gold. You're striving for the gold constantly, just like every Olympic athlete has ever done in their entire life. You're striving for the gold, but you can't get the gold. We'll take the silver, which is, you know, a catch and shoot three. Um, obviously, with that skill development, and I listened to your podcast the other day with Brandon and stuff he's done with uh, with Steph and the skill development that can, you know, kind of get you a silver with the skill level of your player. But that's the silver medal, um, getting those threes, those quality looks at threes. And then the bronze is the mid-range shot, the non-rim, the non-paint. Uh, shot, whether it be floater or, or pull up. Um, and certainly those shots are more efficient for certain players. Um, but it, it's a shot that we might have to take. And you know what? We'd rather have the bronze than no medal at all than turn the ball over and getting crushed in our net, you know, transition defense because we turn the ball over or we take a, you know, a really difficult shot, you know, from three just because it's a three. Uh, we want to get those opportunities and, and we want to be on the medal stand no matter what, even if it is a bronze. 
uh, we want to strive for that gold. We want to strive for, you know, the top. Uh, but if we can't get there, if the defense takes everything of those shots away, and, and really that's the only opportunity we have left with five, four, three, two, one on the shot clock, well, of course we're going to take the bronze. We must have uh, the skills developed there and, and obviously concepts offensively that take that into account that we may not be able to get the gold or the silver on every possession. Sure, we're striving for it, but uh, that just may not be reality because, you know, those other guys on the other side, those players in, on the other side that we're competing against and those coaches, they're pretty good too. So we got to take that into account and understand that we may not get exactly what we want on every offensive possession, but uh, we got to you know have a hierarchy of what what our goals are. Every organization, every person, should, you know, obviously has goals in their mind, and we have them too. Uh, great, great way of explaining it: gold, silver, bronze. That's awesome. And uh, you know, it, it, striking a balance between the human element of the game and what the numbers say is also a part of the modern game, isn't it? No question. Uh, you know, it, it, they're not widgets, you know, and back to your, you know, collegiate days of taking classes in your high school days. These are not zeros and ones. Uh, obviously, um, a lot of that goes into it. The background work, the analytics department here in Indiana is really good. And, and across the league, uh, you know, there's incredible amounts of information. Uh, and we had that in Dallas when I was uh, there as well. But um, it's not just as simple as you have to shoot this shot every single time. Uh, there's, you know, however many variables you want to count up. There's five players on offense, five players on defense. Well, there's three referees as well. Do we know what the referees are and their tendencies are? Do we know where that, where that is going? Do we know the rule changes, what happened recently? Obviously this year they took away the uh, non-basketball moves, you know, a little decrease in free throw rate uh, at the beginning of the year, then it kind of uh, flattened out uh, to, to more of a norm. And then, Chris, to be honest with you, you're, you're watching these games now. In the playoffs, as I've been a part of, blessed to be a part of numerous times, it's a, almost a different game, you know, physicality-wise. And uh, we're striving to get there, back to it in Indiana, and and have our guys have a glimpse of that. Um, I think is is really really important uh, to to kind of get that personal side that you're referring to because it's just not that easy. Uh, you know, you reference the playoffs right now, so. You as an assistant, are you communicating still with players that are on your roster and sending them, say, clips from the playoffs or different things that can highlight things that they can, you know, develop or they do already? 100%. We're in contact with our guys, you know, uh, constantly. Um, you know, the, the younger group that we have, uh, the, the younger players uh, that are on the Pacers this year, you know, it's completely voluntary, but these guys have been back in the gym already. We've been, you know, uh, within the rules of, 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 what NBA's laid out, but we, we've been working with them and, and showing clips and uh, Lloyd Pierce does a great job with that. He showed a couple of clips the other day with some of our young guys and, and we're, we're really, you know, trying to take that next step here in Indiana. We got to get back to what, you know, Indiana basketball is about in this state and this, this area is, is so passionate about basketball. We're going to keep working and striving with the, the cooperation of our front office to, to get back to that point. But it, the physicality of it really, Chris, I can't, I can't say enough. You know, you talk to any of these coaches and, and any of these players that are that are still in it, fortunate enough to be in it, that it's a different level. And you got to feel that to really get, you know, and understand it. You know, I can't remember the official that came up with a quote. He's a retired referee, but he said, like, people get the impression that officials referee the game differently in the playoffs. But it's really just that the game changes in the playoffs because players play full intensity because day to day, I mean, you can't do that in a regular season necessarily, but you can in the playoffs more. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I would say that's fair. I mean, the, the rules don't change. It's mm -hmm. just the level is is ne the next level. It's like going from a 
uh, you know, in every level of basketball, you're going to step up a notch. You're going to step up a notch from your middle school team to your JV team to your high varsity team. Um, and then once, you know, you, you kind of get the, the teams that are of the upper echelon, not only physically, but tactically. And these teams that are still playing are doing a great job. And, and it just goes to the next level. It's the preseason to the regular season. Um, it's just a gradual a thing that just you got to get that experience. Um, I think, in, in my point of view, to, to really make an impact there. One of the roles I want to talk about relative to your roles that you've had for Coach Carlisle, and I think this is a modern role for a coach, is to filter information to the head coach that is the most important information. And I've got to think that the best organizations have people like you that are doing that for the head coach. No question. Obviously, uh, you know, Rick is the ultimate decision maker in terms of what we're doing strategically along in coordination now. In the modern game, you do a lot of that communication with the players that are on the floor and, and giving them the tools to put them in the right situations. Uh, but, Chris, the way I've approached things um, from my chair and my personal beliefs, uh, you know, I'm a, a believer and I, I believe you got to serve others uh, to make this world and your, and, and the, your surrounding um, sphere of influence better. Uh, so I'm going to try and serve my head coach and serve those around me um, to put them in a better situation. And if that, you know, corresponds to me in a better situation, then, then I'll the better for it. But, uh, I go into it every day. How, how can I serve my head coach? How can I serve my players? Um, how can I serve the Pacers and the community at, at large to make this a better situation, make them better, make my head coach more prepared? Uh, how can I serve that guy? And, and in this course, last 14 years, it's been Rick Carlisle prior to that, Billy Donovan, but, uh, how, how can I serve them and get them in a better situation? Um, now, they may, that may be just being quiet for a little while. You know, <laughs> they may need to have their space, um, just like we all do. But uh, I try to think about it as much as I can, uh, what's the next speed bump? And I'm not going to say roadblock because roadblocks, you got to turn around, and go another direction completely. I'm going to say speed bump because there's going to be bumps in the road um, in every NBA season and every, every, every year. Uh, so what's the next speed bump? How can I help my head coach and how can I help our players um, be prepared for that as best they can, as best we can? But also, how can I really try to you know, get them in the right frame of mind to attack that speed bump and, and, and be accelerating it when we go over the top of it? Well, you referenced that coaches are human. Head coaches are human. No so, question. you know, we all go through the ups and downs. So. Uh, maybe from your perspective, what are some of the best practices when, say, a coach is down, your head coach is down? What are some of the best practices to be able to help them? Well, first of all, we got to love on each other. We've got to understand that we are all people, as you said. Uh, you know, you come in the next morning after, you know, a 20-point shellacking, nobody's in a great mood, right? Well, we got to understand this is, as, as we've talked about, this is uh, like a lot of people talk about, it's not a sprint. The marathon is 82 regular season games and, you know, give or take four to six preseason games. It's a marathon. And we're in this to put our players in the best position to succeed so that as a, as a group, as a unified group, that we can come together and, and obviously get to that next level, whatever the level that may be. Um, so can we get our guys and our head coach is obviously the, the main conduit of this. Can we get our guys in, in a headspace where they're ready to take the next step? or at least confront the next step so that the next time we get to there, we're ready to hop over that wall. Um, so to answer your question, Chris, I would say that you really got to know that person. And, and I thank God every day that uh, this is 14 years with coach Carl. I feel like I got a decent grasp 
you know, I, I'm still learning, but I still got a decent grasp and try and try to help him in any way we can. But really to, to, to get to the bottom of your answer, I would say this, you got to serve them as best you can and, and just take that mindset. Don't, Oh, Hey, what's my next position? If I get this done, I'm going to have an opportunity to be in this spot. Well, be where your feet are and, and attack it the way you are every day. And instead of, you know, trying to think about, Oh, if I do this, I might be able to um, get this next position, serve who you're serving now. And, and, and you'll be better off in the long run, in my opinion. Hey coach, I just want to let you know, basketball immersion is proud to partner with just play. I had the chance to spend some time with just play in new Orleans at the final four. And I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all in one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www.justplaysolutions.com forward slash bball immersion. That's awesome. And you referenced, uh, you know, the, the, the amount of information in the modern game is incredible from analytics to just video to everything like that. So I'm curious then you referenced Lloyd Pierce and Ronald Norwood who's done the podcast some different people on staff. Is it something that uh, coach or you communicates the communication style, the best practices to be able to communicate within the organization? Or is that just something that we let people be individuals? Yeah, we, we obviously is our first year as uh, a, a staff together here in Indiana. And we had a lot of conversations leading up to the year. Um, obviously, we can make adjustments during the year, but we, we want to have the right um, highway of information as the year begins. Because once games start to pile up in the NBA, you're drinking from a fire hose and, you know, you got to try to have the right path forward. So um, there's a lot of conversations about what, what is the right information that we need. And what is the information that our, our group can provide, uh, which they've done a great job with? Um, and how does that get communicated? Does Rick need all of this information via email? Does he need it on printout? Does he need it, you know, the day of the game? Does he need it four days before the game? Well, if I'm the prep coach for a game, when do I need that information? I may need it a different time than you, Chris, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or Jenny Busek or yep. Calvert Cheney. I might need it a little earlier, or I'm not going to really look at that until, you know, 48 hours or whatever it is. So, we spent a lot of time trying to, you know, get that that pathway down, um, and I think that's the beginning of it. Is really try to get your information, what you need, in the correct highway on the right lane, at the right time. Um, you know, my wife and I go on these trips with our, our two young boys, Gavin and Wesley. Which, by the way, no coaches done a great job without a supportive family, and I'm one of those. Uh, we go on these trips, and you know, if you want to plan to get off and fill up with gas, well, you can't. Plan it, you know, getting off the highway in 0.2 seconds. You better have an idea what you're doing before you get to that exit. I think about the same way with, uh, you know, information, and you just don't want to get thrown something with five seconds to go before you're presenting to the team. You got to have that information prior and and have your 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 T's crossed and your eyes dotted. It's great. It's fascinating, and and you reference obviously every staff is going to be a little bit different, but they're all going to have their efficiencies and their effectiveness in that communication plan. Um, Back to offense, maybe a little bit, because it strikes me watching the playoffs that, you know, say, let's say passing and Golden State being a high frequency assist team or a passing team, you know, that reflects more of a, a philosophy or a play style 
than it does actually the blueprint, right? Like it's like some teams are more isolation. Some teams are more passing is most of that dictated from your star player on down in terms of those philosophical decisions, or is it now more of the coach's philosophy? Yeah. I, I, from my personal opinion, I, I would say it's, it's dictated by the roster. You, you have an overall style that as a coach, you want to play. Um, you want to, you know, whether it's movement, whether it's pins, whether it's pick and roll, whether it's isolation, you have an overall philosophy, but your philosophy may not fit the roster you're given as a coach. So, you know, we're to, between a rock and a hard place there and it's not going to work. Um, I, I do think that you have to build around what, what the concepts of your top echelon players and, and that may not be just on offense. You know, how does that factor in the defense? How does that factor in how we're going to get back and transition defense? All right. Are we a, a great offensive rebounding team? And, and, and I talk about with the communication with our team and our staff and, and, and trying to be a, a, a part of it is that what's the advantage? You know, everybody says WTF, you know, in their little text strings. Well, I, you know, WTA, what's the advantage? Um, where do we gain the advantage either tonight, moving forward, these next chain of games, five, six, or are we looking at the macro perspective? What's our advantage as an overall roster? And I think you got to keep an eye on those things. Um, do we want to play a fast-paced game tonight? Do we want to, you know, go in transition as much as possible, or are we not as fit as the other team in terms of uh, uh, speed and, and athleticism? Uh, I think that's you know something we got to take a look at, not only on a one-game basis, a five-game basis, a, a little mini pod, uh, or going into the season, uh, what does it look like for the year? And I really think that if we're talking about how do we win? How does, it, how does each individual or each team get better? That's the core of it. But what, what's your advantage? You know, if, if you have player X who's a great isolation player and player Y is on the same team, he's a great isolation well, you may want to iso a little more. Well, if you have guys that are great crashers, there's some great guys crashing the offensive glass here in the playoffs and you see it every time. Well, you may want to crash more. Well, coach, I may give up transition points. Well, we're not in this to just go to a certain score. We're in this to net gain. So if my net gain is plus 12 on the offensive glass and the transition defense, you know, as a result of crashing, only well, gives up six. Well, why wouldn't we crash every single time if we're a, a positive net six? Uh, I think a lot of those stats that we get into and, and people see on, a, you know, just a quick glimpse on a TV screen or on a stat sheet don't give the complete picture. You know, if you give up 12 fast break points, but you get 22 second chance points, uh, you know, that's a win. It's a plus 10 net over the year. You're going to be, you know, your points per possession are going to skyrocket. Uh, now the other, the other can be true. If you just don't have those guys that can make a difference on the offensive glass or, or whether it be cutting, or if you don't have a great three point shooting team, well, you may, you know, we're going for that gold that, that silver. Well, you may try to get a lot more gold medals than, uh, than the silver, but you just got to figure out what the advantage is. And, and I really think um, taking a look at the complete picture, how does it impact um, the entire game and not just one small caveat in the game. So WTA, what's the advantage? So what kind of things are you looking for at your opponent to help you find the advantage? Yeah, I, the geometry of the floor is a big thing for me. Um, how, how are we spaced and how are they spaced um, in a full court setting in terms of the timing up the floor and what do they look like on offense in terms of their geometry? Are they five out? Are they four out one in? Are they said, you know, are they, um, are they crashing? Are we, are we trying to crash that day? Or are we trying to crash, you know, with certain guys? 
um, trying to figure out that geometry and how, how it turns into the net gain or net loss is really a, a big point of emphasis. I think not only for us, but, but league wide, we're very um, adamant about those situations. Where, where can we get a gain? Where can we take advantage of, uh, of our players impact? And we got some guys that are pretty good out here in Indiana and we're, we're trying to get a few more that are, that can take advantage of those situations. Um, the, the ones that really kill you, Chris, uh, we're talking about this net transition defense and, you know, crash, not crash or, or cut, don't cut are the ones that stand there players that have a tendency to stand and watch. And, and, and I think every coach will tell you that at all times, if you're just standing and watching, you're not doing a whole lot, you know, you're not helping us get back and you're not helping us go get the ball again. Uh, so being mindful of that, those watchers are, are in the analytics world, we call neutral. Um, they're, they're not impacting the game um, near as what we, we would like them to. And we got as coaches, that's our responsibility to, to keep on that and, and coach it and teach it. So, so with that, then um, let's say, for example, beyond geometry of the floor, are you starting, say, with ball screen coverages? Are you starting with transition defense in terms of those things uh, to try and find the advantage? Or are you starting okay. with their personnel? I think it goes before that, Chris. I think it starts with um, what's our philosophy? What are we willing to, quote unquote, give up, mm-hmm. uh, a.k.a. what are we what are we trying to take away? Because um, you're not going to be able to take it all away. If a coach thinks they can take every single thing away that an NBA team does, I think they're probably, you know, uh, missing the point there. Um, but what what's our philosophy? What do we want to take away? And what what are we okay with living with a contest or whatever terminology you want to use there? Um, what are we okay with you you know living with? Uh, we got to start there. And how does that fit our personnel? And how does that fit their personnel? you know, for each individual game. And, and as a group, you can look at that, you know, in a five game gap, like we talked about. Um, so starting there and then molding it, those coverages to try to put yourself in a strong t- situation um, as the reverse of it, obviously, it, you know, we talked about the, that shot pyramid, that, that shot profile. Well, we want to have them shoot as many bronze level shots as possible if we can't turn them over. Um, so we want to kind of have our defense, uh, fit to that and fit to our strengths as, as, as a staff and as a team. And then the other part with the WTA is uh, like how much, how important is it to be more inclusive of your entire roster with that? Cause I mean, hunting advantage can sometimes focus on one player, whether it's on your team or to, to hunt an opponent. So I'm wondering if you're trying to be somewhat to hunt the advantage, but still be inclusive for your roster. Yeah. And, and I don't, I, I want to make sure I'm clear on this, Chris, that like, I'm not talking about hunting one guy as an advantage. I, I'm more referring to conceptually what is the advantage? Is it our athleticism? Is it is it yeah. their strength? I understand so, that, but I'm kind of saying like in the modern game, we're saying, hey, you know, it's real obvious yeah. that this guy's an advantage. So For we're sure. gonna keep going to him. And then the rest of the roster isn't as inclusive. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, and, I mean, those guys, you know, special abilities and, and guys that are on the floor for certain reasons and obviously going to be attacked on the defensive end. Um, I, I do think that um, as, as the, the pressure cooker builds up, you know, as you, you get through preseason, regular season, uh, playing games now and postseason as you go further in the playoffs, each player that's on the floor must be able to contribute on both ends. And, and like you're saying, be, be, a, be a homogeneous group, not just, oh, I'm going to do uh, skill X or skill Y. Um, trying to figure out how you fit into that. And that's why you see, you know, let's be honest, that's why you see shortened rotations because uh, there's somebody that's an outlier. 
And it's, and it's tough to find those, those minutes for those guys to, to fit in the core concept of the advantage for the team. So I, I really think that's a, you know, why you see those things. Is, is five out a must in the modern game, you think? Must for 48 minutes. I don't believe that is the case. Um, I, it's my personal belief that, that this should be an option for you. Um, we're talking about roster versatility. Now we have 17 players that are, you know, eligible, whether it be two ways or whatever it is. Um, I think at, in roster composition, obviously the front office in Indiana is, is well aware of that and, and understands and, and everybody around the league. I think it should be an option for you. You have to do that 48 minutes, especially if you've got a you know, special talent, you know, at, at a big position. No, but uh, to combat some of the some of the things that other teams are doing. Uh, in at least pockets of the game, I, I do believe that you need to have that option in your in your arsenal. Um, and I think most teams, if you look, you know, you go through the rosters and the depth charts throughout the league, they're going to have that option of either a, you know, a big that you know is is legit size big but can shoot it, uh, or b, do you downsize and you go with a you know a smaller guy, you know, it's naturally a three four that you, you put out there to five. So uh, in in twenty twenty two. Uh, with the three-point rate going obviously up and up and up, it's not going to go down. Um, I think that you look at the success of the teams in the playoffs so far, the three-point rate for most of those teams, pretty high. You must have that, you must have that option, um, in my opinion, at least. So the subtleties of the game, we understand that teams are, are different, even though sometimes to an outsider, they might look like everyone's running the same or doing the same thing. But let's say like 90% of the actions are the same, let's say. Uh, how, how do you become unpredictable with, with that reality? And that's, that's the gift of, uh, of talented basketball players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the core of the game. We're, we've gone through a few different concepts here, but the core of the game is making reads uh, and reading what is that advantage. That Back to that WTA, it all wraps together. Um, the core of the game is really reads and how you react to that. Um, do I have the outside hip? Can I attack that outside hip? Can I talk, attack that front foot? Um, like you and your basketball decision training that I've you know been a witness to you know uh, over the years, you know reacting to what they're they're giving you. Uh, and now we're at the the top level of this where you know that 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 little gap, that little window, may be just enough for you to get a step back shot or a sidestep shot. Or that maybe you know the guy's got his left arm at a you know a, a thirty six degree angle instead of forty five degree angle, so you know you can get the rip through. Um, understanding those intricacies um, uh, is the next level read. Uh, it's no longer just reading, you know, simple drop coverage by a big. Um, I think most you know elite ball handlers are, are reading that drop coverage by the big and understanding you know where that big is. Well the elite guys are looking at the tertiary quaternary guy in the corners that they, they're not even looking at the, the, the drop big. They may, their, their head and their eyes may be this way, but in reality, they're looking at this guy over here tagging is this guy nail helping over here. Um, they're looking at the next level uh, of read. And obviously that takes a lot of experience and a lot of skill and a lot of development to get to that point. But when you're those elite ball handlers, those reads and reading what the advantage is, uh, when you come off in live action while you're handling and, and reading that next guy, not just our drop defender or the switch defender, you're reading the next level guys is is really where guys are excelling. I mean, it's honestly, Chris, you're watching it. I mean, how fun is it to watch some of these guys in these, these situations? I mean, look, in the end, we got some guys that can do it too, but uh, it's fun to watch. 
it's amazing how they can attack the weak side without looking at the weak side. It's, it's absolutely impressive. And like in soccer, there's a lot of research on scanning this ability to be able to get a mental map. And I'm curious, just from your perspective, if there's something that you're doing or something that you're, you've seen that works to be able to help develop that skill. Cause as you said, that's an elite skill skill, but I think more players have it than we realize uh, in terms of how the game is played, but also the permission and freedom for a player to be able to say, let's say something like jump to pass. Like that is now a part of the game, right? That maybe 20 years ago, a coach might poo poo that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And that jump to pass is an interesting debate that that's been going on for forever and ever. And, and our, my theory on that is, you know, you, you can jump to execute a pass. You just better have an idea what you're doing when you get up mm-hmm. there. Uh, you know, don't try to make that decision on your way back down. Uh, you know, when the air, air the, the pilot goes to take off and goes down the runway, he's not making that decision when he's got the wheels like this. He, he's made that decision far behind that and, and making it, you know, there's adjustments that need to be made, but he's, he's got that decision pretty much made um, w- w- when that happens. Um, but to get to your question about, you know, where, where it's going and, and what is the situation there, I do think that, as you've talked about in, in, in some of your basketball immersion stuff, is that giving our people, uh, our players, as much opportunity against re-defense. It doesn't have to be full live. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and in the world of the NBA, where you have limited practice time, it doesn't have to be five on five, good versus good. Um, but it does have to be as much reading and uh, understanding the nuances of, hey, this guy's put up, this guy's put back. Uh, as possible. Do I still think, you know, I don't, Chris, we can talk about this. I, I do think there is some, uh, there's still some form shooting that needs to be accomplished, you know, muscle memory in, in those situations, I, you know, um, in terms of training the body, um, but training the mind as we, you, you've talked about so immensely on your podcast and, you, and in your world um, is such a huge thing. And if we can't, if we can't do that, then how do we expect them to perform when, when the game, when it tips up in front of 20,000 people and millions of people around the world? Um, so giving them those reads while um, looking at the whole picture, uh, we talked about it earlier that these are this is not widgets. These are people, you know, they, they might have had their newborn up at two in the morning last night and they just physically are not in a, in, a, in a state of mind to go good on good A on A in practice today or, or even in shoot around or what, whatever it may be. These are people and, and we got to love on, we got to serve them, uh, but we got to feed them the right stuff when we get, you know, prepared for the game. And, and as we've talked about before is, is getting those people, those players in, in situations where their mind is challenged as well as their body. So use of video for reads, uh, use of obviously on court practice. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a chance to watch Scott Morrison when he was with the Boston Celtics. He's now the Perth mm-hmm. Wildcats head coach run a workout with Gordon Hayward with nine coaches on the floor. So <laughs> it was like the ultimate simulation. The workout was about Gordon Hayward, but there were nine coaches helping simulate offense and defense and decisions and reads. And just again, the resources that you guys have, that makes it possible, doesn't it? And we, you know, we're an organization here in Indiana that, that, that understands that. And we got enough bodies to, to make those simulations. We had a, uh, like I told you, we, our young guys, a younger group of players have been in here recently. While the other teams are playing in the playoffs, we're trying to get better too. And we, we had, you know, two guys on the floor, two players on the floor, and all the other eight were coaches or, or whoever else we had out there. So uh, just, just making those reads as realistic as possible while keeping in mind that we can't, we can't you know, good on good. We can't, you know, go at guys like that. Uh, a, during the year, or even, even right now, we just got to be smart with that, working um, coordination with our strength staff and, and the training room staff 
and make good quality decisions, not, not, not just for, hey, for this moment, but are we making quality decisions for their growth? Are we making quality decisions for the growth of our team? I think that's a big part of it. And just to add to that, Chris, you know, it's great to have those on-court workouts and, and those situations and, and reads. We got to work with people to make, you know, the relationship better as a whole. Because if we think we're going to succeed at the, the highest level, we got to do that a little bit off the court too. You know, are, are we building into people? Are we sitting down and having lunch with our guys? And are we doing those things to try to better that relationship and, and try to get that relationship to the next level so that there's that, that trust and that bond that when the stuff hits the fan, you know, hopefully next May or June, or if we're an opportunity to make the playoffs, then, then we're together even more. I love this discussion and these perceptual reps, as you just referenced, they don't have to be full speed. They don't have to be physical. It's more about the physical rep. And again, instead of just doing the on-air rep, they're doing a essentially an on-air rep, but with perceptual decisions. And it's just, I think that's the next frontier. And I'm so glad you shared that. No question. And, and there, there, there is a time and place for some physical contact. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get that in too. But it, it, with today's, the loading, we have all the measurements in the world. Chris, it's amazing the stuff that these guys have, you know, the measurements that come from our performance staff, like, you know, how many steps that you take this way and this load and, and the perceptive um, knowledge that we have is, is incredible. And, and there's a time and place for a heavier load. There's also a time for, for all mental reps as well. So talk to us about that then. So the sports scientist gives you the load that they went through in that workout, and then that helps you determine what they should do the next workout? Yeah, we, we, as we were talking about earlier with the delivery of information, um, you know, we're trying to figure out you know what coverage to be in tonight or whatever. So we don't necessarily, as coaches, in my opinion, and, and the way we've kind of operated here uh, in Indiana, is we don't need to know those exact details. There, there's a guy named uh, we have our I'm not sure of his exact title, but our performance director Sean Wendell. He he, he has all his numbers, and he says, "Hey, today for your player X, maybe a little lighter load today." You know, maybe just non-contact or maybe, you know, just reads or we need a good one today. Um, you know, that happens in the NBA a lot. Guys that aren't getting many minutes. How are we getting those guys real live reps? How are they getting uh, staying in shape? How are they doing those things? And a lot of teams will do it on the uh, main floor pregame. Well, we, we, we do it a lot um, like during the middle of the day. Our guys will get reps in and, and play live action, you know, against uh, coaches or other personnel that are that are around. And I think. Um, that communication, that's another way that, you know, the head coach, we need to support him. Say, hey, he needs a little love today. He needs a little of this. He needs a little contact. He needs a little of that. And as assistants, you know, that's kind of our job to be aware of those things, uh, understand who, who needs it today, who needs what and what capacity. Uh, our head coach has got a lot on his mind and a lot on his plate. We're there to support him uh, with that information, not only from the basketball-wise, but our strength staff as well. Hey coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard, Dr. Dish. Use promo code immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before by providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. 
theoretical question, but Rick Carlo calls a play. Does every single player have to adhere to the play or are there certain players that can break off the play and make a read anytime? Or do all players have the freedom to break off the play to be able to make a play, as you said, find the advantage? I listened to your uh, podcast with, with Jet, my guy Jet, Jason Terry, the other day, and uh, he <laughs> talked about Rick being a mastermind. Mm. Um, one of the things that led to such success there, and, and obviously in Dallas in 2011 and some other years, was that um, Rick has a really good feel for putting players in situations for them to excel. Um, but in reality, their concepts to put that player just in that situation, and, and it's up to them to make uh, obviously, they're in control of what happens at that point. Um, uh, putting them in the right situation, we talked about the geometry of the floor, wh- whether it's five out or, you know, two bigs up, one big down, you know, all those things. Um, putting guys in situations to succeed uh, in a concept. Now, that may be a play call where he thinks it's in the right place and then whatever happens, happens. Uh, but putting those guys in, in a position to succeed is really what Rick's, Rick does offensively. And, uh, you know, if you look at the track record of his offenses over his 25 or I don't even know how many years total head coaching, got a pretty good track record of it. Very good track record. Um, are, are you using five-man lineup data to call plays, you know, say when you have a particular five-man lineup out there, or is it just, you know, these are the plays? Yeah, they, these are uh, – this is information that's uh, hewn from obviously our analytics group and, 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 our, and our, our research as well. Um, we go with groupings, you know, individual lineup, pairs, and then five-man groups. So we're looking at one, two, and five, uh, typically. And we kind of make those decisions, and, and Rick kind of goes into the idea of, hey, these are the concepts we like against this team. Again, going back to WTA, what's the advantage in this situation? Um, or what, what actions will put us in the best situation to succeed and our players to put them in their you know, strengths? We're working on those weaknesses and practice times, but uh, in, in simulations, we're trying to play to our strengths on offense and defense um, when the game starts. So uh, to answer your question, Chris, we're looking at a lot of data. And hopefully when the game is flowing, we can make those adjustments um, live because we've done that homework and we're, we have that information uh, as best we can. Well, I know that's a little bit of the art of the game and especially the art of coaching is making those adjustments within the game and the balance between doing what you do and doing it better versus, oh, we need to make a change because we find, as you said, an advantage. So can you talk a little bit about that process of in-game adjustments? <laughs> Yeah, and that in in the analytics world, I know you're well aware of it. And the the phrase that coaches aren't big fans of is small sample size. Oh, that's a small <laughs> sample. I can't I can't read much out of that because it's a small sample. Well, we only have a small sample in this game, so we got to make a decision, right? Uh, but that's where you know the basketball experience by for a guy named you know like Rick that's been coaching you know thirty years um, that you're really you lean on. The experience, not only as a player, you know, and, and as a coach for, you know, decades, um, you, you lean on that experience um, when you don't have maybe the right information. Maybe it's a new lineup that they've rolled out or a new lineup that we've rolled out or somebody called up from the G League that has a special skill. Um, you got to just make those basketball decisions and then put your players, as, as I said before about Coach Carlisle's offense, put them in a situ- situation to succeed conceptually. And I think that's really what you're looking at. Um, how, how do you put them in a, in a great situation? How do you help them? Because in reality, that's what we're doing. We're, we're helping our players succeed. 
And and that's what we need to do, not only on the floor, but off the court, off the floor as well. My impression from talking to some other NBA uh, coaches at different organizations is that the best one seems to educate both ways, like the analytics department and the coaches tend to educate each other both ways, because we think, again, it's just the analytics that are driving it. But a lot of times it's the coaches that are educating the analytics people about why these decisions are made as you just referenced on experience. Is that the case that, that we could assume that happens with good organizations? If you're not, if it's not a two-way street, I, I, in my personal opinion, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble. I mean, let's, let's harken back 10, 12 years. Did anybody think that, you know, Mr. Curry pulling up from 33 feet would be a quality shot for an NBA team? Well, if you go look at the data, he's shooting at like 1.2. I mean, from 30, 30 plus. There's some other guys in that, in that realm, but Nobody ever would have thought that 15 years ago. I mean, when we were in the playoffs in 2011, we're doing our best to try to find Dirk an ear ear ISO, a a nail ISO, where he can shoot a pull-up too. Well, it just so happened that that guy's one of the, you know, arguably top 15, 20, whatever number you want to put on the player in the world, history of the game, and he had an elite skill there. Well, a lot of those guys have now created that elite skill beyond the arc. So the things that we thought um, at that time as a young, really young coach, uh, we're just, you know, had no idea. Well, we, we got to understand that the game evolves, players evolve, and we evolve as coaches as well. And we need to c- continue to evolve. If we don't, we're going to be stuck in the Stone Age. What struck me is what you just said there is that the analytics have really given players that always had this talent permission and freedom to use this talent in a lot of ways. Whereas a coach might have historically said, no, the analytics have helped give that player some freedom, right? For sure. And, and if you look at today's game, and even if you go to the, your local YMCA, the game is played a lot more free than it used to be. Um, you know, I wasn't a very good player, but, you know, we used to run a set every time. We, you know, run this flex offense, pin down here, there, and there you go. But now it's just, you know, skill everywhere um, and freedom of movement everywhere. I mean, the league changes rules every year to, to make it easier to move on offense. Getting harder on defense. But it's, it, they make rule changes almost every year to make it easier on the offense. So you better be up on up on what's happening, not only with the rules, but your guys and and honestly, what's happening in, in the high school game. I mean, are, are our players ready for this? And the answer most times, whether we like it or not, is, is probably, yeah, they're probably ready for it. Absolutely. And they enjoy it, uh, and which is a part of it. I'm imagining that players are enjoying the game more than ever based on how we're playing it. For sure. And, and, and honestly, the, the, the coverage of how the world works these days, you know, that we're doing this podcast right now is, is incredible that we can reach millions of people, potentially, I hope so, um, with, the, with a basketball podcast and we can teach and learn in, in a variety of different ways. I mean, guys can learn just sitting on YouTube. Um, now, maybe there's some teaching that's not so awesome on there, but um, understanding that the game is changing and, and society changes and, and we better change with it. Yeah. Players are more educated too, just like fans are, I feel. And uh, you, your podcast will be close to a million, but most are just under coach. Just for a <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try to take it up a notch. Just no, talking about it. the playoff intensity. We're trying to take it up. A notch. <laughs> Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, are, are teams now over switching? And, and by that, I mean, not actually the decision to switch, but they're giving up a switch when they don't actually need to switch because they've been told to switch. Yeah. Um, that goes back to what your philosophy is defensively. What are you okay with? Are you okay with getting in rotations or not? Um, are you okay with the physical mismatch, uh, per- perceived mismatch of 
you know, small versus big, but the other side, the big versus small, like we talked about the offensive rebounding. Um, it really, you have to define what you're okay with uh, as a coach and as a team and as an organization, to be honest. Um, so there are obviously techniques to, to, to not switch as much in these situations. Um, but I'm actually referring more out. to the point that you're, you're okay. We said you're going to switch this matchup yep. or these ball screens or handoffs, yep. but the handler doesn't get anywhere near the shoulder. Yep. So it's not actually a screen, but we're still switching it. Well, I think that's really personnel dependent. Do you have guys that are going to fight through that and, and sit, sit down and, and, and not switch if you don't get hit or if you barely get hit? Are you going to get in that situation where, uh, oh, I'm going to convenient switch? Um, again, I, I still go back to, you know, you are what you coach. Uh, are you going to, uh, you know, allow that? Is that going to happen um, within your philosophy? Are you going to allow that that situation to occur over and over, or are you okay with it? I mean, are you okay with just over, just switch everything? Which some teams are, some teams are pretty good at it. But um, you know, it, it really, what are your standards in terms of the physicality of the game? Do you want to switch? Are you okay with the soft switch? You got to make that decision what's best for your personnel and and their personnel. To be honest, does load management and those decisions ever factor into switching more? Great question. Um, I think during the year, uh, I, I, I wouldn't really see that because you're going to load manage in other ways. Okay. Um, you know, overall minutes, um, uh, practice time, travel time. Are you staying over in a city? You're trying to help in all those in all those areas. Um, I think if you're getting into like they are now in the Western East, Eastern Conference Finals, you're going every other day. First of all, I think all those guys are ready to go. You know, it's 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 that time, but those situations, I honestly think you could see yourself, hey, in the first quarter, second quarter, we don't want to be in this situation. We don't want to be in rotation, so we're just going to switch and sit down and just live with some contest. And then maybe later in the game, um, because it's third, fourth quarter, you want guys you know, in that situation. So trying to figure out what, again, the advantage. What's the advantage? Do, are we in better shape than them? Are they going to tire out? Is that, do, do they have a you know, kind of unicorn idea of one guy you know, handling it? Or is there multiple ball handlers? So we're not going to be able to tire that guy out. Um, what are those factors? I, I think all goes into that. That's why it's such a, it's an amazing game, really, because there's all these variables that go into it. You know, it's not, I love baseball. I grew up playing baseball, but, you know, you got a shift, you got one batter, one pitcher, you know, for the most part. Like, okay, of course you can have a base runner, but really you're, you're going after that batter and that hitter. At that point, there, there's not a lot going elsewhere. Uh, whereas there's 10 guys on the court at one time and there's a lot of moving parts. And unlike football, we all love football, but they get to huddle up every 30 seconds. Uh, you know, that's not us. Yeah. And that's why we all love basketball that way for sure. So uh, assistant coaching role. I mean, you filled a lot of different roles, but I'm curious, how has your role changed overall? Or let's say in a general sense, the assistant coach role from say 10 years ago to now. Yeah. I, um, I've been blessed to be able to, to learn and, and, Rick Carlisle entrusted me to, to grow with him. Uh, you know, I, I've grown a lot since, you know, being hired in May of 2008 to the situation I'm in now. I have the opportunity to work under some fantastic leaders, you know, upwards of seven, eight, nine, I want to say eight guys that have either been an interim or a head coach in the NBA. I've worked under or worked with and um, just trying to find that next way to serve. How, how can I best use my skills and the talents that I've been gifted to, to help not only the assistants, but the head coach and our players. Um, 
and not try to get ahead of yourself. Um, sure. Others, people that are of my vintage getting head coaching jobs. Sure. But you know what? That's not my path today. I'm here to serve who I'm working for, and who I'm working with. Um, and and I'm firmly where my feet are and enjoying every second of it. And I think if you get ahead of yourself, you're probably missing, missing it for sure. What, what's the role of an offensive coordinator in the NBA? Well, a lot of different coaches do it different ways. Most, most times um, in most seasons with Rick, he'll have one guy that's primarily the defensive coordinator and one guy, one guy or girl that's the primary, the offensive coordinator who kind of is in charge of that area. Um, do all of our guys know the actions? Do all our guys know our concepts? Um, are we putting a new action in? And obviously Rick is in, oversees all of this. Uh, but that, that person, that individual really takes the onus of, you know, making sure that, that, that area is, um, running on the up and up, shall we say? Uh, so, um, that's kind of the, the definition of it. You know, you have really taken, we're all in it together. It's not like that offense coordinator can't make defensive suggestions or, or alterations, especially during games, but, uh, making sure that you have responsibility over an area. Uh, so that area is, is covered. Take us through, it's your scout. When you did scouts, it's your scout. Uh, let's say, how far in advance would you be working on that scout? And then take us through the process of some of the things that you would do for that scout. Yeah, um, I'm, I still have a few scouts um, now as, as well. Um, so in reality, you, you got to see what familiarity you have with that roster and with that coach. Um, how familiar are you with, with that group? Um, that kind of depends on how far back you need to start. Um, I start, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but the, my personal philosophy is I don't want to be uh, altered by any stats or anybody else's opinion before I form my own. So I'm going to start watching uh, uh, the opponent, um, depending on the schedule situation. Let's just, just say a week out, um, five days out, a week out. I'm going to watch um, their most recent games. Then we're going to go watch our most recent game with that opponent. I want to make my own opinions before somebody else tells me what they are and what they should be. Um, so I'm going to you know, go through the film and understand how, what's the advantage for them. What's the disadvantage uh, go through that. And then once I have an idea of what I perceive to be what's happening on the floor and, and what their, their goals are um, I'm going to go look at, get the information, the analytics, I'm going to go dive into it um, and then hopefully formulate an idea and then we'll bring it together as a staff and kind of Rick makes the, ultimate decision of how the game's going to go. But uh, I think that's a, a really key thing for me is, is making sure. And I think for all coaches formulate your own opinion before somebody else tells you what it is. Uh, Cause that's what makes this world go around and we need to have separate opinions uh, in order to succeed. We talk a lot about oh, over the years with Rick, um, you know, we can have great discussions and man, I've, I've had some fantastic discussions and coaches meetings. I mean, Terry Stotts, Dwayne Casey, Jim O'Brien, you know, Jamal Mosley, Steven Silas, Lloyd Pierce, Jenny Busek, Ronald Norad now. Had some great discussions. But one thing, Chris, that I've, I've always noticed, when you come out of a coach's meeting, usually those are in, in conference rooms or whatever, those doors, when you walk out of those doors, Chris, those doors are all just wide enough for one person to go through it. Mm. They're not big oak barn doors. They're usually one-person doors. Well, when we come out of that meeting, Rick's walking out of that door and we're right behind him, single file. We are behind whatever decision was made there, whether it was the decision I really supported or not. We're walking out of the door, single file, and we're together. Um, discussion within, but united on the outside. 
But I think that's a really key concept to, to, to do if, you know, understand you're walking through that door and you're not, you're not sides, you're walking behind somebody. And Such that's a great coach making yeah. that decision. Such a great way of explaining it. But to, to your point, disagreement and discussion is welcome and encouraged, isn't it? hundred percent. If not, what, what are we doing? Yeah. We have, the staff is put together by all these great coaches and all these organizations to be diverse, not only in experience, but thought process. Um, I, I think it, it, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't have those discussions. And, and if you're not open to hearing that, um, maybe when I was a lot younger and, and, and new to the game, I, maybe I was a little more, you know, stubborn with it. Uh, but I think I, I'm hopefully growing in that area and understanding that, um, you know, my way may not be the right way. No, I think it is. Uh, we, we're going to go at this thing together and we're going to come out of it united. Coach, I mean, the servant mentality shines through uh, in everything you've shared today. I am also curious because part of serving is that you serve yourself and that you focus on potentially this next future opportunity is being a head coach. So how does that process get balanced with obviously serving and being the best you can be in your split position? Sure. I mean, if those opportunities present themselves in, in the future, obviously we'll, we'll, we'll cross those when, when it comes. Um, but I, I, I do think if you just continue to, to work and, and better your, your environment, your players, your sphere of influence, um, those things will come um, in due time. Uh, so my head is down. My head is, uh, to try to help um, those around me and our players and our, our head coach and our organization put the best foot forward um, day by day. And, and if opportunities come in the future, great. If they don't, my wife and kids, we're, do, we're having a blast together, living life and, and enjoying every day and, and, and getting these conversations like this with you and, and others around the world. Um, look, basketball's afforded me a chance to go see the world. I, I've coached camps and all over the world and, and, Lebanon and China and Switzerland and Germany and all these places all over the world. And, and it's been a great experience so far. And I hope it continues for a long, long time. Well, I'm sure it will. And uh, you can tell I was excited to talk to you and uh, this potpourri of information that you shared. I can't thank you enough, coach. Well, thanks, Chris. Appreciate you. And uh, thankful for uh, tuning into some of the basketball immersion stuff. I'm excited what you guys are doing. Thank you for listening to the basketball podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at immersionvideos.com. At immersionvideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to immersionvideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at Immersion Videos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Mm-hmm.